Hey guys, and welcome to Personality Bingo with me, your host, Tom Moran. So this week on the podcast, we have Paul Byram. Paul is one of Ireland's premier tenors. He is a singer who I was lucky enough to meet this Christmas out at the Helix Theatre. He was playing uh, Gaston in Beauty and the Beast and he absolutely crushed it. He was hilarious. His voice was unbelievable and his pants were so tight that I'll just never forget it. Um, Paul is a very, very talented dude and we don't even get into half the stuff Paul has done on the podcast. So let me fill you in. Paul's done incredible things in music. He's been in the industry for over 20 years. He's been shortlisted for a Grammy nomination. He's performed with the hit show Celtic Thunder for years. He's toured North America, which he's just about to go back and do. So I implore any of our American listeners to go and find a date near you because he's an amazing singer. And he's also sung for the president. So that would basically mean that if you go see him you're like the president. Uh, Paul's amazing. It's a deadly chat and it was really, really fun to sit down and talk to him. So Paul, if you're listening, thanks so much for taking the time to do it. Uh, guys, in other news, I am playing Romeo uh, in Romeo and Juliet uh, at the moment out of the Mill Theatre for the next month. Um, it's been great fun so far uh, and I know I've been saying I have something that I can announce really soon. I can announce it next week, so make sure you tune back in for some very um, exciting news about some of my own work and some of my own new writing that's going to be coming to another stage in Dublin uh, City Centre in the very near future. Uh, in other, other, other news um, the podcast uh, is going to be undergoing some changes um, lately so I'm excited to tell you about that and also a little bit sad because it's always sad to change um, but we're going to have some exciting news hopefully in the coming weeks um, about some changes happening uh, at the podcast and yeah everything's very exciting and wonderful in the world of personality bingo so guys I implore you sit back and enjoy the wonderful chat with Paul Byram playing personality bingo with Tom Moran Tom Moran's personality So, Paul Byram, you ready to play Personality Bingo? I am indeed, yes. All Let's right. do it. Let's do it. So, uh, I'll give you a quick explainer of how it all works. So, there are 60 balls in here, 60 questions on the sheet, and I'm going to put 60 minutes on the clock. I've also given you five numbers that have been randomly selected. Right. Would you do me a favour and read out the five currently on the sheet of paper? Yes, I have 4, 35, 11, 48, and 57. Nice one. And would you pick a sixth number of your own choosing between 1 and 60? Do you want me to tell you what that is? Yeah, yeah go on. Yeah, I'm going to go with my age... Uh, so 38 will go in there I thought a lady never revealed her age well indeed but a gentleman is a total tramp so I'm happy to do it (laughs) Um, okay wonderful Uh, and I should say that if all six of the numbers on that sheet of paper come out from the bingo machine that means that the tables are turned and you get to ask me any question in the whole world okay grand Um, stuff right okay sweet I should say that we have a special guest who is Bradley your wonderful little dog sorry my little dog comes kind of a lot of places with me Um, not that I'm a kind of a twink or anything like that but he (laughs) it's it's cheaper than daycare so um, he just comes and tags along so Bradley is here today if you hear any weird noises it's not me yeah no he's great okay so let's give it a spin alright deadly first out the gate we have number 22 do you have that I don't know no worries number 22 the question is did you ever get detention in school Uh, yes of course (laughs) many a time I think with with uh a lot of entertainers and singers you'll find that we kind of tell the same story that we're more um more into the banter than our education so I used to get into a lot of trouble in class like from acting the Egypt and uh, every now and again I'd find myself in detention but by and large they were pretty tolerant of my 
my ways. Because there's two ways it can go. It can be like the kind of student who like is in detention, but like it's always with the kind of wink from the teacher. They're kind of like, yeah, but you're good crack yeah, at the same yeah, time. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. Was that the kind of thing? Absolutely. I mean, I I now looking back on my school years, you know, it's great to be able to uh, meet up with the teachers and see them and and still have a good rapport with them. You know, I wasn't a, a bold student, so to speak. I was just a bit of a class clown. Yeah. Um, and and ninety nine percent of them kind of played along a bit, but uh, every now and again, I'd be like, okay, Paul, seriously. Get it. <laughs> yeah. Did you have so. that like thing of um like when I was in school, I was always more like I always say this about myself, like I'm like I'm not really a professional actor, I'm just a failed professional footballer. Right. Because I know you're like fit and sporty at the moment. Yeah, Were you yeah. like that in school? Do you have no, that? No, I no, know. No, uh, sport was like I mean I love sport. I've grown up loving sports. Soccer is my, my big thing, rugby kind of a close second. Um but no, I wasn't good at either. Still not good at anything. Um, music was always kind of what I was into and performing and, and acting and all that kind of stuff. So uh, that was more of an interest to, to me as opposed to... Um, it was always going to be the profession. Right. You know what I mean? It was no other, there was no other thing that I wanted to do, so... And was it were you in an all boys school or a girls? School? Yeah, all boys. So yeah. what was the like? What was the? I mean, when you were thirty eight, so it's not that long ago. But like, was because even like when I was, even my little brother growing up in school, like music had that thing, or like musicals or singing, like was synonymous with like you know gay. The way yeah, kids yeah. use it is in like yeah, that's yeah, gay. Yeah, was yeah. that a thing? Yeah, of course it was. Uh, of course it was. And and a lot of the lads, you know, certainly in the early stages of me being in Black Rock, would have kind of been, what the hell? Who's your man? Like you know, and I would have been somewhat in the public eye as well at that that stage as well I was doing television and, and a bit of radio and stuff so the lads are like who's this fella he doesn't play rugby he's on television and he's singing he must be gay or he must be this that the other um, and then there was a lot of lads that were just like leave him at it you yeah. know so there wasn't an element where I was bullied um, I wouldn't say I was ever kind of in this position where I felt bullied um, you'd get the odd comment and snipe remark but by and large um that was in the early stages and kind of come third year where everybody's kind of starts growing up and starts yeah. kind of copping themselves on a bit um, it was more an element of like oh yeah Byron is a singer like fair play to him kind of thing you know and yeah. then when it came to fifth year sixth year when the skir- girls from Mount Anvil came down to do the musicals everybody wanted to be in the musicals then you know yeah. so it started playing off well for me then at that stage so yeah. no I, 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 I wouldn't say it was ever I, I loved it too much to be bothered by it by by the bullying, do you know what I mean? I loved music and and performing too much to be bothered by comments or or snide remarks or whatever. So, um, and thankfully that was the case because I'm sure there's a lot of people that have walked away from doing music and acting and whatever else because they, I suppose, felt they they couldn't or they were the the, the slags were unbearable. Like and that that's an awful thought to be honest. Yeah, it's even we were talking about this the other day on like to when the shoe was neither foot. If you look at like professional sports people, mm. and we were just talking about how. It's incredible in this day and age, and, and understandable that there no professional footballer has come out as gay. In yeah, one of the top. It is bizarre to me, all right, and it's kind of sad in many respects because, like, uh, being a huge soccer fan myself, you know, I, I find it hard to believe that in a squad of twenty six and there's twenty teams in the Premier League and twenty six teams, twenty six players on the on the books, technically speaking, um, and not one of them is is gay. I mean, it is remarkable, but. And it's sad. It's a poor reflection of society that that somebody couldn't. I I feel perhaps they could in this day and age. I think if you know, but they have to ask themselves, is it worth it? Yeah. Um, 
and unfortunately not everyone is as educated or as open-minded and, and that goes probably for teammates as well I mean does it bring a whole world of problems with sharing after games and all of that kind of stuff so there's a whole world of issues that I think they've got to deal with and face you know and it just seems bizarre to me because in rugby it seems to be okay right um but but it just hasn't transcended to to soccer yet, you know. Yeah, that's like the next thing that happened. I feel like. Yeah, know? well, it, it it should do, but I I think we're a good bit away from it yet. You know, they're still dealing with racism for God's sake. You know, like the fact that black players get abused, and um, playing in Russia, it, it's just bizarre to me. So you can imagine if you were a black player and gay, God help you all together, yeah, like you I know. know. So, um, but back to the original point, you know, I think anybody that's different in a school will always kind of get slack initially. Um, and that's why I often say to young lads um, and girls in particular, you know, that when when they're in those early years of school and they're finding it kind of rough enough just because they're slightly different, whether they're good at soccer or singing or drama or art or whatever it is they're into that might get, in any way, shape or form, they're different to the regular people in their class, they'll get bullied. Um, but inevitably that individuality will stand to them and, and will become quite admirable by the rest of their classmates by the time they leave school, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of a case of just hanging in there and yeah. just getting through it, you know. Yeah, 100%. Um, and I, I even talking to some of my friends in the industry that are gay and that knew that they were gay from times they were in school, um, you know, by the time they left, I think they were probably the most popular in the class. Like So yeah. it's just an element of riding out that storm, you know, for whatever one year it is or so. It could be the longest year of your life, but you've got to just ride it. Yeah, yeah. You know? 100%. Right, let's ride on in this game. Let's give it a go. So pretty you, deep, pretty quickly there, Tom. Oh, I Jesus, mean, man. we're right in there. Yeah. Um, okay, uh, number 60, do you have it? Uh, I don't, no. No worries. Number Good. 60, the question is, in terms of artistic creation, what drives you to do what you do? Oh, I... I, I think um, what drives you, I suppose, uh, God, it's, it's it's a tricky one. What drives you to do what I do? I suppose initially you did it for enjoyment. Initially you did it for uh, self-fulfillment and, and uh, the buzz of performing on stage and and looking f- constantly looking for that buzz. Um, many times I've heard music and performing being described like a drug, you know, that you kindly wants your fix and hence why so many that are in the industry end up becoming alcoholics or drug addicts because when they come off the stage they're looking for that fix again of, you know, the audience, the adrenaline. Um, so initially that would have been the, my prime drive. But as you get older, I think you'd be foolish and, and you'd be a little insincere to say that you're not driven by having to pay your bills mm-hmm. and um and and looking for a, a, a nice lifestyle um and and I think that's you know at 38 years of age I'm a married man and um hoping to have kids one day and all those things so you know aside from just um the artistic I know it's very a sad story Bradley <laughs> um but aside from the artistic um fulfillment that we all look for and certainly when I'm doing albums you'd look for a good album to stand and represent you as, as as a person, as an artist and where you are in your life um, but you have to admit that there's a huge element that you want your bills to be paid. Yeah and do you but do you, like if that was the case, would you be better off going and doing, another, you know, just something a regular job with more security or um, all those yeah, things? Yeah, there's there is that argument and that, that, that question gets asked often by, by people that you know, aren't in the game, that aren't in the industry, that don't understand that we're not made up like regular people. 
like our mind is our brain is functioned differently it's it's programmed differently to to people that are happy to work in an office every day or people that are looking for that job security and um, we we don't have that i i don't have that you know i would love to be on a regular wage week in week out would i love to be sitting at a desk every day and uh, pushing buttons no i i wouldn't be able to i'd probably end up getting fired um because not through any negligence but just through um I suppose the inability to just do mundane things a day in day out I, I couldn't do it so I think we're made up differently I think artists are made up differently yeah I, I, I think about it sometimes of like the person who like do you ever think about the person who's made up with that like headspace or like that artistic mind or that person who can't press the buttons and who w- will get fired from that job but who at the same time is and you have the talent mm. to do what you do mm. I think it's the saddest thing in the world when you think about like the person who has the drive to do it and like the work ethic mm. but actually fundamentally just doesn't have that thing that like special like that special talent because that is a, also yeah. a part of it I, well I think I think it is I, I mean I, I think there's could be often too much emphasis put on that little special talent thing the x factor for want of a better phrase um it's been kind of for years there was that x factor thing talked about then obviously the tv show came and nobody know nobody talks about the x factor anymore like because it's cheapened so to speak but um I think over emphasis can be put on the X factor as well. That that factor that that you you need to have a certain factor to make it big. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't believe that. I think work work ethic has to be a huge element of it, and drive is probably a huge element of it. Um, I think luck certainly plays a huge part. Um, and 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 we're all looking for it. We're all craving for it. But I think you can make a decent living from it. Um, by by working hard and just plucking away. Mm-hmm. Um. It it doesn't make it easier, and and it certainly it can be bleak at times. But um, I I do think it's sad to think that there are people that rather than going 100 percent or taking the risk. I mean, the risk element of it is is huge. The fact that you may not have any income for a month or two months. There's people that would just go into cold sweats at the thought of that alone. Whereas if you're prepared to kind of deal with that and you know that well maybe the next month would be really good and then maybe it'll be quiet for two months. That's okay, you know. Mm. So there's, it is all in your makeup, you know, and I, it is sad that there are people that are hugely talented that are sitting beside a desk, you know, when you mm. think of Paul Potts, he was selling phones in a in a car phone warehouse, you know, and, and he had this incredible voice. Um, uh, whereas he now, people ask, well, maybe the drive and, and the, the uh, ambition wasn't there. You know, he got a sample for the industry and didn't like it, and that's another element to it. You know, people will often like the idea of standing on the stage because show business is is two words, you lo- in my opinion. Um, it's it's the show, which we all love doing. That's why we're in it. But then it's the business element that a lot of people fall short on and fall out of love with the game because of it. So... I find that the hardest. Mm. The business element is the difficult part. The show part is the easy part. Right. You know? So when you talked about like, you know, because I think about this sometimes as in, it's, pro- it's probably further down the line for me, I hope, but if, like mm. in terms of kids or something yeah. like that. Yeah. I have two questions for you. One, like do you think about that business side of it and you talked about that like, yeah, because there's definitely two mm. months where like there could be nothing coming mm. in. Mm. How much of a part does that play when you're like thinking about, well, is this like the right time if I want to be a dad? Like, yeah, I mean, it is. It's well, obviously, being married, it's a joint discussion that kind of regularly happens in our house. You know, um, you know, do you? And anybody you talk to that is parents will often say, you know, you can't plan your children based on your finances because you'll never be financially ready for kids. You know, you'll always hear that. 
but I think it would be irresponsible to kind of just go for it and figure it out afterwards, you know. And so um, you do think, you do think a lot of, well, what's my plan for 2018? Am I, you know, have I got enough gigs and work coming in so that by the end of 2018, if so willing it happens that we have a kid, that we'll be able to just kind of find our way with that, you know. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, every decision you make, every decision certainly I make, is based around the the lines of a is this um, who I am as an artist, but b is this going to pay my way? Mm. You know, because you don't want to sell out either. You know, um, I was accused of that this year with regards to doing the panto. People are going, God, what are you doing? Like panto? What are you doing panto for? Like you've done operas, you've done musicals, you've done albums, tours. What now you're doing panto? And there was more factors to that than than just you know I wanted an easy three months back in Dublin. Like you know, there's a there's a lot of factors to it. So you can get accused of that, but if you can do something and and do it, um, and it's a, a a good reflection of who you are as an artist, well then I think there's no harm at all. Yeah, Panto's one of them funny things, isn't it? Because I I st- I struggle with that sometimes as well. Because uh, I probably come from like you probably come slightly more from the music side I probably come mm. slightly more from the acting side mm. and I it sounds similar like I'm not I'm not saying that there's necessarily I'm not saying that there's necessarily a snobbery but I certainly have like I have like reservations about certain people who I would like Oh, I was talking about going into an audition room mm. recently and if they were like oh so what are you up to which is a common audition mm. room question normally if you're working that's great tell them yeah. that you're working and it gives mm. you a nice vibe and you don't come across ne- all these good yeah. things but then I was like in certain audition rooms I would not mention that I was in panto yet at the same time I was watching something today and this lovely quote came up it was like any like it's like the most honourable thing in the world is like to stand on a stage to make people smile mm. which is literally almost the definition of panto because yeah, people just love it yeah yeah so it's that funny I, I, thing no, I, I, well you're, you're reluctant to say snobbery I'm not I think there is, without question, a doubt, um, a snobbery element to, to what panto is. Um, I would have probably had it for a while, actually. In, in in fact, years ago, I would never have considered panto. But then, as you get older, you're going to go. Well, I wouldn't mind giving that a shot. I wouldn't try. Like, because I'm always very keen as an artist to try everything once. So I'd never turn anything down. Um, I mean, when I say never, I, turn, I mean, I've turned out some things, but, um, you know, a lot of things I, I would just kind of go for it and see what happens, do it once and see what happens. Um, and I think a lot of people can only be snobbery towards Panto after they do it. It's uh, an extremely difficult uh, run. It's a very well rehearsed, uh, very well put together production um, at the high end, obviously. Um, and 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 so you know it's a great training and a, a, I I I can't see what any any downfalls to it. Um, it's been a great experience for me, but but I do think there's an element of snobbery to it. Yeah. Mm. Um, and and I I can't for the life of me figure it out anymore. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And one I will spin again. Yeah. I promise. One more question. Going back to his end about like the you, you know if you have kids down the line if they were to say to you boy or girls like you know when they're like at an age where it you know to take it serious like 15 16 they say i want to do what you do dad mm-hmm. whether it be like you know be on the stage be a performer whatever that might be Sorry, no on. you're okay go on, go on. how would you feel about that what would you if they s- wanted to be a performer yeah like really honestly with yourself um, would you hope they, they do want I that i would or hope don't? they they wouldn't yeah would be my, my would be my gut um i would always encourage I'd like to think I'd be the father that would encourage them to be whatever they are as a person. And I think that's the thing. Like being a singer and an actor isn't, a, you're not choosing a profession. It has chosen you. I've often felt that for many times, for many years. Uh, you know, I'm, I don't do singing. I am a singer. That makes sense, yep. you know. Um, and, and so, 
you know, if my child turns around to me and goes, you know, I am, I'm gay, um, I uh, want to sing, I want to drive a bus, whatever it is you want to do, I'd be 100% behind them. Um, however, I, I would be, I, I don't think I'd be a good father if I was to kind of just go, yeah, go for it, man, you'd be great. Um, without kind of explaining to them, like, you know, there's a lot of pitfalls in this and it's not easy. And, and I... You know, the chances are that they will see the way they've been brought up and, and the lifestyle that they're living um, will either push them toward music or against music. I mean, like it's a funny one, like in that my father-in-law is a very successful um, musician and, and he has six kids and uh, not one of them has gone into the industry. Um, and so, you know, it, it, it doesn't always necessarily lead to kids seeing their parents and wanting to follow follow suit. But would I turn them against it? No, I wouldn't. I'd, I'd say go for it. But what I would suggest, um, where I, I suppose, messed up in many respects, was that I didn't get a different deg- a degree in something different, just as a plan B. Now, there's two sides to the argument. One will say it would have been great to have that plan B if things didn't work out with the music. You can always go into business or go into whatever it might be, marketing or whatever, whatever kind of line of work you want to get into. Uh, the flip side of that argument is if you have that in your artillery you might never give the singing and the music 100% because you know you've got a plan B so it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an argument for a few pints uh, back and forth many a time you could kind of put arguments to uh, both sides um, or good points should I say to both sides of the argument um, but I, I personally speaking I no I don't think I'd push them toward music yeah, unless yeah. they were really sensational like oh my god um, I think I would definitely sorry to, to, to dwell on this but I would certainly have my kids do piano or do an instrument or even if they didn't like it they would have to do it for a couple of years anyway just for more than anything to have an appreciation of um, music mm. um, I think if you can grow up appreciating music even if you're not good at it um, that'll stand to you for the rest of your life okay? yeah 100% mm. All right, sweet, let's go again. Uh, okay, number... What are we doing? Number 16, do you have it? Uh, no. No worries, number I'm six. right here on these numbers, am I? No, that's all right. Uh, number 16, what are your memories of 9-11? Oh, God, yeah. Um, horrific, really, to be honest. Um, I, I was... Um, I was working in a newsagent's in Dublin at the time uh, on Harcourt Street, and um, only two years prior, so 2000 and one it happened right mm-hmm. uh, I had worked I had worked in New York for a few months on a J1 visa so I'd had a kind of an affinity to it prior to the to the towers been hit and I remember when I was we were working in a restaurant in, in New York and on nights out if we wanted to kind of go high end we'd often go start our night up at the up at the eyes of the world uh, cocktail bar right. and uh, we'd you know have a few drinks and then we'd go out uh, for the night Um and so, uh, you know, I had been in it and I had experienced it. And I remember even the people that, you know, I dealt with in the in the, in the the bar, you know, and I often wondered, did they survive or were they involved? Um, and uh, to the point that one night I remember even going to it and I had what I thought were kind of like, they weren't runners, but they were like, um, I suppose they would fall under the category of runners, but they weren't, right? And... Um, and I thought they wouldn't let me in, you know, initially. And then this one woman intervened downstairs in the lobby and she was now let him go up. He's here regularly, whatever it's grand. And I often wondered, did she make it? Was she working that day? It was yeah. it was one of those kind of um 
things that I just, even though I didn't know anybody in it, I kind of remembered certain people that I had dealt with over the years. Um, and I was working in a news agent and uh, people came running in and going, did you see the, have you seen the news? Like that there's the planes after hitting the World Trade Center. I just assumed that it was a, like a little two or three seater plane, you know, that had clipped the, the side of the building or something, you know. And so we went in, turned on the television. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Um, and Harker Street was just dead. Like nobody was coming into the shop all day. Um, and it was like as if I, I'm assuming, because there were all the businesses around the area, I'm assuming they were all just glued to the television. Um, and uh, going home that day and, and continuing just to watch it on the television um, and, and watch it unfold, it was it was something I don't think we'll, we'll ever forget. Anybody that was alive that saw that will never forget it. Mm. Um, it was kind of like that Kennedy shooting for our generation, you know. It's, it's one of those things we'll always know where we were when that happened. Mm. Um, and then subsequently ended up moving, returning back to New York and living there for four years. And and um, New York was... was uh, is a very special place to me but when you go to the World Trade Center now to that area you can still get that great sense of loss that lingers in the air like it's it's a, it's like um, it's very bizarre and kind of spooky in many respects you know yeah. you can get that sense that such tragedy has happened here even if you didn't know it you'd be in the air you go there's something just not right about the air there's an eeriness still there you know mm. and I remember talking to you just briefly and we were literally around the corner and we were talking about New York and you were because it's a city that fascinates me and I've only mm. been to visit and I loved it we were talking about that pull that it has and because you've lived there up until yeah. quite recently right? yeah 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 we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that like that pull of Dublin versus New York and how you reconcile it you know it's it's very hard to describe or compare Dublin to New York it, it's just apples and oranges um, to be fair Dublin's got a charm and a uh, and a, a magic to it that that a lot of cities don't have. Um, it's a small European city. It's got a nice little vibe, nice restaurants, nice bars. People are very friendly. It's a great city. Um, but there's an energy in New York that you can't get anywhere else in the world. Um, and and there's a, the people in New York are very interesting in that there's no black or white, or there's no grey. Should I say it's black or white? That's mm. that's you know that in everything they go in to order a sandwich, they go give me that sandwich there put mayonnaise on it boom 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 thanks out the door they don't even say thanks they pay your dollars and out the door so there's none of this uh, hike I was wondering could I have um, could I have the foot long please and can I would you mind putting some mayonnaise and if if, that, if it's alright can I also get some um, some lettuce there yeah thanks a oh sorry am I in your way no no okay go on um, this hemming and hawing that we do as Irish people you know um, and there's none of that so I love that element to it as a, as a people there's, they're very friendly they'll do anything for you if you need them to you know uh, certainly the people that I dealt with um, and but but there's a there's a, a a harshness to them you know mm. so it can often be perceived as an unfriendly city but in actual fact it's not for a city that has nine million people traipsing around it it's a pretty friendly city yeah. um, there's an energy in the city that doesn't exist anywhere else in the world um, there's a belief that you know anything is possible there I, I and I've worked throughout the states in a lot of different cities throughout the states and it just it's not there I mean maybe LA has it but there's a there's a kind of an element of seediness to the LA vibe you know you're kind of like yeah anything can happen here if you're really lucky or good looking you know what mm. I mean whereas in New York there is that vibe that anything is actually possible you can make a lot of money in New York with the right attitude and right work ethic so that that energy is quite infectious um 
needless to say, the the bright lights and the glamour of it all is 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 intriguing and and appealing for tourists and for for people that are just looking for a good time. It's an amazing city in that regard. But when you're living, th- add that then to the energy of living there. Um, it's it's quite a special place. Mm. It really is quite a special place, and and it's. I we lived out in one of the boroughs. We lived out in Queens. We didn't even even live in Manhattan, and and um, it was it was just a great place. And even like the area we lived was like a little community in Sunnyside in in Queens, um, and everybody knew everybody in a great little neighborhood, you know. Um, and then fifteen minutes later, you're in Times Square, mm. you know, and it's just bedlam, you know. Um, so. You know, is it for everybody? Probably not. No, I think there's a lot of people that would go to New York and hate it. But um, I think there's there's something wrong with them, <laughs> because uh, you know you can go into any bar in New York and sit at the bar and end up chatting to the person beside you. And so whether you're a painter or a stock exchange uh, guru, you know, it it is it, it doesn't matter your income. People will chat and have the banter. There'll be football on or sports on, and there's always a bit of chat. Um, Whereas I find in London it's quite, you know, because the only other major city I can compare to is London. And I think in London it's quite class orientated, you know. Um, you're not going to have a struggling singer in the same bar as somebody that's working uh, in the stock exchange, you know, making a lot of money. That just doesn't happen, you know. Um, they end up going to different places and um, high-end places and, and the others go to lower-end places. So there's no interacting mm. like that in London. I think it's a very tiered system in London. Whereas in New York, you know, you can be every Tom, Dick and Harry is, is in, or, in amongst each other, you know, and I, I love that vibe about it. As someone who like has worked in in the states a lot, <clears throat> one of the things I found I lived in Chicago for a year, and one of the things I found, and it kind of goes back to the subway example of ordering yeah. a sandwich. Like as Irish people and as an Irish person, especially when I first went to the states, I was, and it was only when I went that I noticed I was very like apologetic almost mm, for myself, mm, mm. especially as a performer and in like those environments, whether that be like audition rooms or meetings or those kind of things. Whereas in America, it's the opposite. They will they will sell you themselves mm, in mm. this unbelievably confident way, and then you'll see the product and you'll go, oh, that's actually not a good product, but yeah. you're so good at selling it. Yeah, yeah. How did you find that coming? Because you strike me as like a direct person, which I mm. find really like good mm. and comfortable. Were you always like that, or was that something that being in America kind of forced you to become? Um, I think I've always been pretty direct, to be honest, uh, much to my detriment at times. But uh, I, it was like when I got to New York, I was like, I discovered my home, like, you know, of my, my or the home for my personality, should I say. You know, it, I just fit in immediately with regards to you know I'm walking here get out of my way that kind of thing is is is, is great the the un uh, apologetic way of life um without losing uh compassion and sympathy and being a nice person you know it's it's finding a nice balance and um but but uh yeah I I I think you're right a lot of Americans in particular will sell themselves very well there's there's no there's no shortage of confidence in America with a lot of people um whereas as you said in Ireland we're a little bit more reserved with regards to our our ability and we're a little bit reluctant to kind of sell ourselves um and I I probably find myself difficult enough to to I find it difficult enough to sell myself at times but um you kind of hope after 20 odd years in the business that the record kind of helps you a bit but you can't assume that either you've got to kind of um you do still have to sell yourself and and um especially when there's such little opportunity in Ireland with regards to our field um you need to be willing to 
be strong and outgoing and, and push yourself forward. And, and I, you'll find that anybody that's doing well here, it has that. Um, so in America, everybody has that. So you're kind of going, well, then how do you differentiate yourself from the next fellow that's coming in? And, and fundamentally, you just got to hope that the confidence will get you in the door and the selling yourself will get you in the door and then your talent will take you over the line. That's that's the hope. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Sweet. Love it. Okay, here we go. Number 27. Do you have it? No. God, man. No. It's, okay. it's, it's tough, man. Competitiveness is getting into me now. Um, oh, this is a good one. Uh, what is your relationship, if any, to the gym? Oh, yeah. Um, I have a very good relationship with the gym now. I mean, I, I didn't always. I mean, if you follow me on Instagram or anything, that you'll see, you know, regular posts about CrossFit and so forth. Um, I, I didn't always have that. I, it was a bizarre one. So I used to go to the gym regularly, like, you know, but I wouldn't do anything. There'd be a lot of standing around acting the Egypt. Um, and then went to New York and again kept the gym. And I would have kept the gym purely for aesthetics like try to just keep in shape look well that kind of thing um but sure my diet was dreadful and like uh, i drank and i ate whatever the hell i wanted and and so therefore i used to kind of couldn't figure out why in god's name am i not ripped well because your diet was appalling you know i'm only learning that now um and then i uh, did a charity run in in boston a three a 5k run and that was grand got through it and i started getting into the running a little bit more and uh, I was asked then to run for a charity called Goal, which we all know, I'm sure. And they were doing the marathon. They had a number of bibs for the New York marathon. And they said, would you do it? And I was living in New York. I said, yeah, of course I'll do it. Sure. I, did a th- I did a 5K there a couple of months ago. What's a marathon? Like? And sure, needless to say, this was the year of my wedding. I was getting married in, in the end of August. This was June I had said yes to the marathon. The marathon was in November. Right, talk about ridiculous planning, um, and so I did a bit of running. <laughs> then I went, got married, um, partied, and all the rest. Went on a honeymoon. I used to get up on the honeymoon and go for a couple of miles every day for a run. Uh, I was, I was having awful knee issues and muscle issues, and this was a disaster. And then November came, and I just went for the marathon, and I popped painkillers all the way through it, and um, got through it, and I was fine, and it was a great experience, one of the best experiences of the four years I lived in New York. Um, and then that just kind of changed my mindset with regards to fitness and stuff, and um, I started taking it a little bit more seriously, and, and um, I was chatting to my, my best mates here in Dublin, they both got into CrossFit, and I was like, what the hell? And I'd seen photos of them like, working out with their tops off in the gym. I was like, what in God's name is that, lads? And um, anyways, I looked further into CrossFit, and then I realised, these two lads are ripped. What the hell? Like, what? They weren't ripped before I left Dublin. Like, this is ridiculous. And um, all of a sudden, it clocked with me that if you eat well and work out, you can look well. <laughs> I mean, it was a, like a no-brainer. Um, and so that's what kind of got me into CrossFit. And then I found the, the benefits to it were more... Um, we're becoming more of a lifestyle thing not just uh, keeping in shape and trying to look good for the beach the, my mind I was feeling great every day you know and um, especially again as you're self-employed or you're in our game that that having to be somewhere every day is very important um, and turning up at a class and not having to think of okay what am I working on here in the gym everything's done for you everything's laid out for you you do it you're in and out in an hour You've uh, burnt a sweat. You get you 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 know all the people in your class. There's great camaraderie, a good banter um, that you don't get in a regular gym. And uh, all of a sudden, I was like, "Yeah, 
signed, sealed, delivered. I'm sold. I'm absolutely here. And and I've been doing it now for three or four years. I've done a couple of competitions and um, finished 50th in my age category there in Ireland last year in the in the Open. Uh, so yeah, little things like that um, kind of is a good side story to what you're doing in your regular life, as in your job, your 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 lifestyle, your wife, your family, whatever. It's nice to have this, I think. And and um, I I would go now probably about five or six days a week um, and some days it's a case of having to get up at six o'clock to do the class in order to to, to rather than miss it you know that's where I'm at now so I kind of get annoyed or frustrated if I miss going to CrossFit one day a week like it's ludicrous I take a day off it's generally a Sunday um, but yeah it's it's very important for me I think I think um, health I know it, there's a big health thing going on now it's certainly in Ireland it's, it's everyone's a health expert firstly which annoys me um, but uh, there is our, our mentality has changed here towards health and fitness in this country which is brilliant a lot more people are going to the gym a lot more people are careful about what they're eating um, unfortunately I think we still drink too much as a, as a nation um, I'm probably guilty of it myself but um, you know as, as a people I think we still drink too much um, and it kind of clouds judgment as well you know the effects of drink and so forth is quite dangerous but um, the fitness element of it I think is is uh, important. Unfortunately, obesity is rising in our country, um, especially amongst kids, which really disturbs me. Um, but I think fitness is 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 not just for the body; it's for the mind. Mm. Really, is important for for our line of work. Um, people that are working on their own or people that are self-employed uh, need to be distracted every now and again from the the woes of being self-employed for want of a better word um, and uh, I am a fair believer that you never leave the gym in bad form um, so why not do it every day what was your time in the New York Marathon oh four and a half hours that's pretty good well especially yeah well I mean I was popping pills left right and centre <laughs> um, literally if I'd have been drug tested at the end of it I would have failed miserably like, yeah. um, but I don't think they'd test people that are crawling over the line <laughs> yeah um, but no it was great like it was a brilliant experience you run through all the boroughs and every borough has bands playing and That's people great. are out cheering I mean genuinely cheering like I found that funny about Dublin another comparison like the Dublin Marathon comes in people step out yeah go on go out yeah. <laughs> you're lagging behind you Egypt whereas in America like they're shouting I mean, in New York they're like come on Paul because you have your name on the t-shirt and they're delighted for you. They're just genuinely delighted for you. I mean, that's that is a comparison that I I gen, generally make about America and Ireland. In Ireland, there is kind of a, I suppose we're we can kind of say that we're, there's a lot of begrudgery mm. in Ireland. That we, we can be we that we can come across a lot of begrudgery every now and again. Um, whereas in America, people are genuinely delighted if you do well. I mean, genuinely, it, it's bizarre to me. Like you know that when you do well, they're delighted and they want you to do well, um, and and so I I find we're not as we're not as good at that here in Ireland, and that, and that I think is 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 a shame, you know, uh, certainly in our industry. Yes, um, I think there's too many people that are like, well, why did he get the part and not me, you know, instead of well, isn't it great for him? Isn't that brilliant? Like you know, um, and. Uh, like I often use Daniel O'Donnell as a comparison. You know, Daniel O'Donnell. People are always slating Daniel O'Donnell. People are always going, "How is he so big? Like, what in God's? How is he so popular?" Um, and and I, 
of, of the opinion I'm like well look he's making money out of a very tough career he's worked very hard to do that uh, whatever way he's done it or however he's done it he's popular and he's making a lot of money fair play to him <laughs> we should be actually delighted for him as opposed to trying to figure it out um, so yeah I, I, I find the difference is quite remarkable you know? it sounds like Daniel O'Donnell is your father-in-law now <laughs> <laughs> no Daniel's not my no, father-in-law no, no. <laughs> <laughs> right here we go number 58 do you have it uh, oh no 57 no oh. I don't okay go on ahead alright um, uh, oh this is another interesting one if you have a kid would you bring them up with religion these are all very good questions um, I, would I bring them up with, yeah God. Um, yes, I, I probably would. Um, I I was brought up as a Catholic, and and um, and and I, I I'm very much caught into in two minds about religion at the moment. Um, I think the way the world is playing out at the moment, it, it's doing everything but encouraging you to be religious because um, I think religion causes a lot of trouble. I think religion within a person can be a good thing in that if you know learning right from wrong this is where I think to to answer your question I would bring them up in a with, with a religion because if nothing else you learn you know what's right and what's wrong that's very much thought to you I find through religion um, um and, and to treat each other with love and respect and so forth um but then it gets muddied as you get older, and 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 I have issues with, for example, in the Catholic Church where, um, you have seven-year-olds going into confession. You know, I, I, what has a seven-year-old got to confess? I, I, uh, this sense of feeling of, you know, uh, sin mm. and, and all this. You know, I, I I have issues with that element to it, um. But as I said, there's many great things, and I, I believe in God, and I believe in 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 what it's. I believe that somebody's looking out for us. Um, I, I don't know it it's a very difficult question at this point in my life because I'm struggling with that question mm. um, myself on a daily basis and uh, if you'd have asked me that question five years ago I would have probably given you a definite answer um, and maybe in five years time I'll give you a definite answer mm. but at this moment in my life I don't know um, what my thoughts are on it I, I find you know when I see the way uh, some Muslim terrorists are behaving uh, it, it, it blows my mind that they're doing it or they think they're doing it in the, in the name of God you know and and um, or Allah whoever they want whatever they want to call it um, it's all the same for me but um, so I, I find I find that hard to stomach um, when I see um, extreme Christians um, protesting against the gay community or um, you know that that bothers me greatly um, that you know, if if we were to go by the Bible, you know, then live and let live. And and um, uh, this whole Bible bashing is the term I use. Um, I just can't abide it. Mm. Uh, if you've got beliefs, I'm delighted for you, and and you should be um, happy to go to mass or church or whatever it is, the mosque, whatever it is you do, go and do that. But don't don't feel that everybody else should do the same as you. I just don't I don't buy that and I never will you know um, and uh, like there's lots of great Catholics in this country that don't go to mass but the right wing Catholic will say that they're not good Catholics well I, I don't buy that either you know I think um, by practicing uh, what the Catholic Church teaches you as opposed to going to church 
is two very different things. Mm. Um, there's a lot of people that go to church and then as soon as they walk out the door, they're not even out in the car park and they're bitching off the neighbour down the road um, or they're, they're doing this, that and the other. So um, so I, 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 f I think religion is a very complicated thing and um, I find it hugely hypocritical that a lot of my age group in particular who are now having children are all, none of them are religious. None of them go to mass None of them, I, I mean, not none of them, but I'd say a lot of them would question the whole God thing anyway. Um, and yet they'll christen their child just so that they can be sure that their kid is going to get into the good national school up the road. Um, and, and that really bothers me, that our country is in that position where in order to get into national schools and some of the top national schools in this country, you have to be uh, a Catholic. Um, and And so... Yeah, I'd end up probably, you know, baptizing my child in order to make sure that it's going to, into a good school. Mm. That, that's that's an awful thing to say. It's an awful thing to say. Um, you know, I, I fundamentally want my child to grow up knowing right from wrong, and I would hope to think that my parenting would be able to deliver that um, with or without religion. But I think the support of the religion would be a good thing as well. Yeah. It was a good answer for a tough question. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Here we go. Number 30. Yeah. No, no. Right. Number thirty. Question is, um, oh, what's your least favorite word? <laughs> Has to be moist. <laughs> it's always, it's always moist. It's moist. Or, oh, there's a few now. Just God, let me think. Um, yeah, it's when somebody uses the same word over and over. That like really bothers me. Like, so for example, um, you know. Right, right. Um, so I was like going into town, right, and um, on forty six day, right, and it was awful. And you're like, why are you saying right? I mean, so like certain words, just if they're used incorrectly or too often, that bothers me. But moist, there's something about it. It's like, oh, uh, feet is another one. Okay. I see. I hate feet anyway. So even the word feet. It's a moist feet. Oh, <laughs> moist feet. Ah. Oh. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, they're the two that I can think of off the top of my head. Oh. Okay, here we go. Well, find at the gate. We have number 34. Do you have it? 34? No, 35 and a half. God. Oh, my God. It's been okay. a, a day of nearlies. Um, okay. Um, where are we? How do you feel about the phrase, everything happens for a reason? Yeah, I probably, I probably, uh, yeah, I probably agree with that. I think it, it does. I think there's, there's reason for a lot of things. Um, and even if at the time you don't see it, down the road you're going to go, actually, yeah, if I'd have done that, something else wouldn't have turned up or something else wouldn't have happened. So certainly with regards to your career, I think everything happens for a reason. Um, with regards to life, probably the same. You know, um, it certainly hasn't proven to be any other way for me mm. in life, yeah. I think I think it does. Yeah, it's one of them ones that gets tricky. That like, because I I mean, it's it's just something that it's an interesting one when that comes up because it's it's funny to see where people go. Because I agree when I when I look at it like on a micro level with myself, I'm like mm. yes. But then you know when you blow it out to something like um something like nine eleven for mm. example, yeah. and then you're like right fuck like it's hard to you know yeah. it's one of them things because that's just such a monumentally fundamentally awful thing. There's like I can't really see a reason why however many people. Yeah, I mean, when you when you yeah, I mean that's a good that's a good counterpoint to to mine, I suppose. Um, yeah, I mean, when you see children ill and dying, and, and you you wonder 
what's the reason behind that and and this kind of brings me to back to the whole religion thing you know because you're like if there is a god well then how how could he stand over that how could he stand over and you get the you know you'll get the counter argument of ah oh, well it's everybody has a cross to bear and stuff i'm like well ah, me yours you know there's crosses to bear and then that's just absolutely bizarre and off the charts wrong you know um so yeah i mean what's the reason behind 9-11 i don't know i mean because nothing good of it has come mm. nothing um uh, so i i don't know maybe in time we'll we'll see that um I perhaps perhaps not. I mean that it's a it, it, you're making me ponder now on that. No. Like I I I often I often believe certainly within career as I said I definitely think that you know things happen for a reason. Um but maybe in life yeah maybe there's maybe they don't. Maybe maybe there's just uh, you're just unfortunate or maybe you know. Yeah, well it's funny just when you said that cuz I, I like I said I have that same pull with it but maybe like what it is is like for people and maybe this again come back to the religion thing maybe that's why it's important to us but it, it's important for us as people to find a reason. You know what I mean? Especially mm. if you want to look at it with something like logic, yeah. career, you're like you can justify it to yourself. It's like, oh, well, I didn't get so and so, but then I wouldn't have been free to do so and so. Yeah, I, I, I think as well. In the, in the day and age that we're living in, we're, we're all, we're more inquisitive and more, we're looking for reasons now. You know, whereas back, certainly, my grandmother was growing up, uh, they would have been like, oh no, that was God's will now, and just you'd move on. Whereas we're more inquisitive people now. We, we want answers to everything, and and. And if not, why not? You know, and and so I think maybe it's a generational thing as well. Everything happens for a reason. Was certainly I would have thought maybe of the older generation, like you know, kind of act. Look, that's just life, and sure you'd be grand, get on with it, um, and you would, and you just muddle through, you know. Whereas nowadays, I think we what we want answers to everything, you know, and and um, and uh, yeah, I I think. You're right. I I would look at the tsunami that happened, you know, a few years ago and things like that, and you're like, what? Like how? You know, or why? And and yeah, maybe maybe it doesn't. I think you know you can be lucky and you can be unlucky in life, but on a grand scheme of things like those things, you'd wonder what what's going on. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Is the honest answer to that one? Yeah. Yeah. Right. I thought I did until I came in here. Yeah, I mean, Jesus. I just um, there you are, Tom. Thanks for that. Changing your life of a, of a Wednesday morning. Yeah. Uh, number forty-five. Do you have it? Uh, no no worries um, have you or would you ever consider seeing a fortune teller uh, no I've no I, I've I've absolutely no belief in them at all um, I think there's a lot of cowboys out there doing fortunes reading hands and stuff but I did encounter a clairvoyant is it a clairvoyant clairvoyant yeah recently um, and and that was remarkable because again I was very sceptical of the whole thing I didn't go to it she was doing a show um, on, on a boat that I was on and I literally just came in with her friends t- mid-show and just sat down the back and she picked me out and threw out a number of things that just hair stood to the back of my neck really so yeah so I, I think they certainly I think there's a lot of people out there that are in touch with the other world whatever that is um, are you able to talk about what she uh, she talked about my my father um so she was in the midst of midst of uh, talking to somebody, and and uh, my father came through to her, and uh, she delivered messages to me like from from him. So uh, and stuff that she just wouldn't have known, like just wouldn't have known, um, and and so it was the first time that I'd ever had that experience, and and. Uh, a lot of questions that I uh, would have had about my father and stuff she answered and, and I found that 
uh, remarkable that that she was able to just tap into that when I was literally in a room of 1500 people so um, so fortune tellers no because I, I just don't think anybody can tell what's ahead for anybody I mean, if, bizarre you are going to be wealthy oh, would you go away <laughs> you're like I, stop like I, ridiculous um, but I think the clairvoyancy thing is, is a lot more interesting to me you know is it something I, I haven't lost a parent touch wood yeah is it something that you find yourself I always wonder like God forbid when that time comes like will I find myself like and I mean like in my kitchen making a mm -hmm. cup of tea like trying to just have a chat with like my dad or my mum even though they're they're not here wherever they are is that something that you find was it uncomfortable or comfortable to be put in a position where like that actually felt like it was a, a reality in that moment on the boat yeah no I, I certainly was knocked for six because I wasn't looking for it a lot of people that went into that were like we were, I was literally on the jar I'd had a few drinks and we said come on we pop in here and I was sniggering initially and then she pulled me out I was like mm. whoa um, and so <clears throat> uh, I I don't know whether you do it's an interesting one like when I my, my father passed away like I we didn't have a good relationship prior to him passing so it wasn't like when he died I, I wasn't looking to contact him or looking to talk to him and you know wasn't in any shape or form all my life so um so the fact that he kind of reached out to me was quite bizarre um and and yet satisfying you know in, in that I, I got a lot from it um but uh, yeah i think you know the hope is that you you live longer than your parents that's 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 important to say uh because you know there's nothing worse than a parent burying burying their child but um, the thoughts of losing your parents is 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 devastating for anybody. You know, um, it's like f um, Father Christmas. When, you know, that big unveiling happens. You're like, oh my god. You know, um, you don't ever want it to happen, or you can't imagine it. But um, so, with regards to with regard to your parents, uh, you know, you you just don't think about it, and then all of a sudden it happens. Um, do you find yourself talking to them? No. Or do you find themselves reaching out to them? No, you don't, I suppose. Uh, this is me, anyway. Mm. I'm sure there's people that do every day talk to their parents uh, that have passed. Um, I'm very fortunate that my mother's still around and I've always had a great relationship with her and so I'm closer to her. And um, uh, even when I don't want to talk to her, she's on the phone to me. So, <laughs> so um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's a, it was a bizarre moment in my life. Really, really bizarre. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Mm. Wow. Right, we've got time for, I'd say, two to three more rolls. Okay, so yeah. Let's try to get you a number. Grand, right. All right, okay, here we go. Number 40. Do you have it? No. Okay, number 40. Question is, uh, what is your biggest downfall when it comes to being healthy? What's my biggest downfall when it comes to being healthy? Um, Like, what's... what's what? Like, for example, like, what's the biggest challenge... Yeah, I mean, like, uh, like it could be, yeah, like the few pints could be oh, a yeah, takeaway, yeah, could be yeah. not going to the gym, whatever. Yeah, I mean, I suppose the pints, you know, if we could take out the pints altogether, we, geez, it would be ripped. We'd be having a whale of a time, <laughs> because I find that when you do have a few pints, then you'll have a bit of, you'll have a packet of crisps with them, or you'll maybe have a burger on the way home. Um, so yeah, the knock-on effect of having a few pints—that's my biggest downfall. And because I'm a, a pretty sociable guy, I, you know, and you get a text or a phone call from a friend of yours going, "Look, do you want to go watch the match?" or do you want to ha catch up for a couple of months you'll always go ah yeah you sure have nothing on tomorrow so let's, let's just hook up um, so that would be the biggest challenge I have I find it amazing and admirable to the people that are so f utterly focused on being in 
perfect condition and having zero digits of body fat um, or single digits of body fat, uh, I, I, I find them really admirable. But I often wonder, well, well, where's the crack? Like, you know, there was a period of time where I was for about a year living the paleo diet and, you know, not really drinking and, um, you know, all about kind of the six pack and looking well and stuff. But then I realized, what am I, like, you're actually not having any crack. This is unsustainable. Like, you know, um, so you kind of had to have a bit of a, I had to have a bit of a cop yourself on moment, like, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so, yeah, the, my biggest downfall would be, would be uh, the old pints, you know. Yeah, nice point to Guinness. Oh, stop. Yeah, you know? I know. Even I know. at this time in the morning, I'm like, oh, that's lovely. Yeah. <laughs> right, here we go. Number 39. 39 no alright no worries away. I've been a one away now on three occasions yes <laughs> we're just teasing at this stage <laughs> okay. uh, what is your relationship if any to social media uh, I have a pretty decent social media presence um, it drives me mad at the best of times like the only one I actually enjoy is Instagram um, because I can just take a picture and put it up and not say anything and tag and you can just put up a picture and it should say enough Um but, uh, you know, with, with my profession, you've got to be able to tweet, you've got to be able to Facebook interest and do live chats and all this stuff. So therefore, when you do have something to sell, whether it's ticket sales or, or album sales, you know, people have been following you, they're interested and they want to know what's going on. Um, I think we're living in a time now where it's a great weapon as well of getting, if you're a total random and nobody, uh, getting your word and your name out there, like whether it be via through... Snapchat or Instagram stories or podcasts or whatever. It's a great way of getting um, experience in, in, in broadcasting, whereas before you used to have to hope and pray that, you know, you'd get picked up by a local radio or whatever or or, or RT or whatever it might be. So it, there's a lot of benefits to it. Um, for me, as I said, there's times I put up a tweet and then you get a backlash for an opinion that you had on something. Um like a lot of these questions, if I was to put that up on tweet, Twitter, I would I would find I get quite a, a whiplash back, in particular from my American following. Mm-hmm. Um, does it stop me? No. Like, I mean, that's, I think, partly why 20,000 people are following me, because I kind of will give my opinion and, and I'm not afraid to do it either. Um, because I firmly believe if you believe in something, you can stand by it. Um, but... Um, it, it's it's a dangerous tool and it's it can be quite addictive and it can be it can be quite um it can be quite destructive within relationships as well you know i find that, you know it's important dominic and myself would make conscious efforts like to kind of okay let's put down the phone when we go out for dinner there was a period of time there where we had our phones on the table You're like what are you doing so um we we make a conscious effort now just there's no phones let's just you know whatever um, and and again it's frustrating because on one hand you're kind of going well once you come home from work you should be able to turn off your phone and just be present with your family And but, but of course we don't do that we don't come out from work at 6 o'clock yeah. so an email can come through at half 7, 8 o'clock and be like any interest in this have you got any PO boom 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 and you get onto it immediately Um so social media is is great. It's got a lot of benefits, but I think it's it's got a lot going against it as well. Mm-hmm. An awful lot going against it. You know that backlash for if a tweet goes up because I know what you're talking about. Like, is it the same? Like, how much? To what degree will you engage with that? It depends. It depends. I have found it's remarkable. It's, uh, I have found since uh, Donald Trump became president, 
I, I, I follow him on Twitter. It's like watching bad television. It's very hard to flick the channel, you know. Um, and and so whenever I would comment on something political, uh, whether it be American politics or Irish politics, you'll always get some somebody that disagrees with you. And I always respect another person's opinion. Always. Um, what I what I can't respect is bigotry. I can't respect racism. I can't respect prejudice. Um, and so, if I find that something of that ilk has been tweeted back to me, you'll find I'll reply to them mm. um, with quite uh, an, a huge amount of vigor, and uh, and often will follow up then with a block, um, because I, I I just have no time for for that element of, in society, and I think. Um, whatever good he may do for the economy and this is the point that I try to make regularly he may improve the American economy but at what cost to the country and to its people there's values have, there's a lot to be said for values and and um, if you I think the most powerful person in the world you don't want him tweeting um, a, a lunatic in North Korea um, about nuclear buttons and stuff so I, I find all of that quite horrific and, and, and the undertone in a lot of his tweets are 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 full of hatred and anger and um and I, and I think that's quite contagious and and um so you have to kind of counter that sometimes mm. yeah. yeah yeah absolutely yeah. yeah all right sweet let's give it one more spin yeah, let's try to get you a number okay here we go oh two came out all right well we'll see okay number 56 no oh fuck. do you have a number 49 no <laughs> <laughs> i have 57 and 48 <laughs> Hilarious. Okay. Right. Uh, number uh, fifty-six. Okay. What's the nicest thing someone has said to you? It's a nice way to go. Uh, I recently just a, f- a friend of mine said, "You, Paul, you're you're very friendly, aren't you?" And um, I was like, "Well, what do you mean?" She was like, "You'll talk to anybody," and I'm like, "Well, absolutely, yeah." I don't think I I didn't. It never occurred to me, really. You know, I just I. I would chat to anybody. Now, obviously, if we're not in the mood, like, we all get, you know, I'm not great in the morning, so the fact that you've got me in here at 10 o'clock is pretty impressive. <laughs> I normally only sing at funerals at 10 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> but, um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that was genuinely one of the nicest things that somebody said to me. Um, uh, the same person commented on my, said I was generous as well. So those two traits, if that can be said about me at the end of the days, I'll be a happy man, um, or if more people think that about me, then I'll be a happy man. Like it's, it's, uh, it's, it's hard to be nice all the time, but it's easier to be nice than angry. Yeah, you know, um, and so I often try and just give somebody the time of day because you don't know whether they've got somebody else to talk to that day. You know, so whether it's even just in the coffee shop or whatever else it might be, um, I think it's it's imperative that we give each other the time of day because I think we're living in a society now as you were talking about social media there where everybody's happy to live within their phone but not kind of communicate with each other and there's a lot of lonely people a lot of lonely people in in the world I think loneliness often gets um, associated with elderly and it's not just the elderly that are lonely you could find that students up here in Dublin you know that are away from home for the first time in their life and they don't know nobody and, and you know the little things like that or somebody that's working in you know Dunkin Donuts and, and um, they may go home to nobody and, and the only person they talk to is that that interaction during work during the day so um, I'm a firm believer in just uh, giving everyone the time of day uh, until they're souls, and then you say right I'm out of here good luck yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
my auntie Katie, uh, she's she's passed away now. She's um she's my great auntie actually. Yeah. But uh, she had just the most simple little phrase. But we always say it at home. She's like, it's it's nice to be nice. Yeah. And yeah. It is. There's it's a nice lot to be, to be said. Nice. For yeah. It. it is. It is. And a, a smile, you know, even just a smile to somebody, is is quite nice. Um, I think we're a good country for that by and large. But but I hope it doesn't change because of social media, which I think is creeping in on us all. You know. Yeah. 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 Well, look, thanks for sitting down and oh, we have a, a chat offline. And yeah, would you do yeah. me a favour? Will you do, do any little plugs, any social media bits where people can find you, any albums, yeah, all that I good mean, stuff? Uh, so, like, obviously, uh, I it's funny when people say, well, how do I find you on Instagram? Oh, Paul Byram. <laughs> no, but what's your, use your handle. No, Paul Byram. What? Yeah, no, that's it. So, uh, Paul Byram on Instagram. Uh, I'm on Twitter, other Paul Byram. <laughs> and uh, my music Facebook, my Facebook music page is, is Paul Byram Music, I think. Um and uh, that's that's really the best way to kind of follow what I'm up to. I, I I very much have a presence. I enjoy it. I love interacting, especially with the Irish following that I have. You know, because majority of my following is international, Australian, Canadian, American. <laughs> so whenever I get a, a tweet or something from somebody from here in Ireland, I'm like, Yeah, how you doing? Sweet. It's great. Yeah. Sweet. So uh, Byron B Y R O M. I think a lot of people get me confused with the the poet Byron. But it's O M. So if you're looking for me, I'm out there. I think you're a bit of a poet. Uh, maybe I just don't know it. <laughs> Paul Barber, thanks for playing. Good luck. Thanks a million. Cheers, mate. So guys, that was Paul Byron playing Personality Bingo with Tom Moore and a massive thank you to you, Paul, for taking the time to do it. It was a deadly chat, a deadly episode and it's been so nice getting to know you over the last while. I actually realised that I also still owe Paul 15 euros. Let that be put on the record that I have not forgot. <laughs> guys, in other news, um, as I said, I'm playing Romeo in Romeo and Juliet out at the Mill Theatre. Um, really excited to get stuck into that. We open um, this Wednesday as you're listening to it. So uh, it's all go here, but it's all good. Um, and as I said, I have a very exciting announcement that I can almost 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 make because I'm really excited to tell you about it it's something I've been working really hard on um, for the last couple of years actually um, and it will be great to let you all know about it so make sure you tune in next week and I promise you'll have some definitive news uh, aside from that guys make sure you tune back in next week when Eva Jane Gaffney plays Personality Bingo with Tom Morris Tom Morris